The January 4th meeting of the Planning Commission and Board of Zoning Adjustments is now called to order. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Will the secretary um, please conduct the roll call? Chair Zuber. Present. Vice Chair Tejada. Present. Commissioner Bolt. Present. Commissioner Mendoza. Present. Uh, Commissioner Rich has an excused absence tonight. Uh, Commissioner Salise. Present. And Commissioner Tebjulu. Present. The public uh, will now move on to public comments. The public is invited to make any comments related to agenda items that are not listed under public hearings or other items of public interest at this time. If you wish to speak during public comments, please fill out a speaker card and hand it to the administrative assistant, Lucy, and speakers will be invited to speak. Public comments are limited to three minutes per person. If you wish to comment on an item listed under public portion of the agenda, you'll have an opportunity to do so when the item is heard. Please fill out the speaker card and hand it to administrative assistant. We're now taking public comments. This is the time when any person may address the board on matters not listed on this agenda. Do we have any? Okay. <clears throat> The minutes for the meeting of November 2nd were provided with your agenda. If there are no errors, additions, or corrections, it should be moved that they be approved as submitted. Do I have a motion to approve the minutes? Motion to approve. And a second? Second. Okay. It has been moved by Commissioner Bolt and Seconded by Commissioner Tejada that the minutes of November 2nd, 2023 be approved. Please vote on your screens. The motion passes. Five yeas, zero nays, and one abstention. Secretary, are there any items for correspondence? No, not tonight. Are there any items of oral communications? Tonight's public hearing has one agenda item for consideration by the Planning Commission. <clears throat> if you... Alex... Okay. It doesn't appear that we have any public comments. So. The hearing item is agenda item 6A, consideration of text amendments to the transportation element of the general plan to replace level of service, LOS, with vehicle miles traveled, VMT, as a criteria to be used for transportation analysis under the California Environmental Quality Act, equal, sorry, in compliance with Senate Bill SB 743, and CEQA guidelines sections 15064.3. And we have the staff report. Good evening, Chair Zuber and members of the Planning Commission. My name is Waylon Lee. I'm the city's planning manager. And I'm pleased to introduce tonight's public hearing item, which is the consideration of text amendments to the city's general plan transportation element for the purpose of implementing the requirements of Senate Bill SB 743. I'd like to start by introducing you to the project team. To my right is Senior Transportation Engineer Nicole Castellino. And we're also joined by our transportation consultant for this item, Sam Tabibnia from Fear and Peers, who's going to do the bulk of the presentation. Uh, before I turn it over to Sam, uh, I did want to spend a couple of minutes providing the commission with a little bit of context to help frame the decision that's before you this evening. In your role as planning commissioners, you're often tasked with making a decision on a particular land use matter or a development proposal. And whenever we bring an item like that to you, we'll 
will also typically ask you to make a determination whether that project complies with the requirements of the California Environmental Quality Act. The purpose of CEQA, as you know, is to ensure that the public and decision makers like yourselves are informed about all of the potential impacts that environmental impacts that a project may have. And in support of that determination, you often see a, a CEQA document like an EIR or a mitigated ne negative declaration, which discusses potential impacts in various topical areas like air quality or biological resources or transportation. And for those of you who may have served on the Planning Commission for a while now, you may recall that in July of 2020, there was a major shift in the way that transportation impacts were being evaluated in these CEQA documents. Up until that point, a significant transportation impact in CEQA was based on a metric called level of service or LOS. And that's basically a measure of how efficiently roads are able to accommodate automobile traffic. And that shift away from LOS was brought about by Senate Bill SB 743, which basically acknowledged that using LOS in CEQA wasn't really at all aligned with the state's goals of uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and increasing sustainability. So in adopting SB 743, the state said we have to start looking at transportation impacts a little bit differently. And so in July of 2020, as required by SB 743, the city of San Leandro, as well as all of the other cities in California, uh, started evaluating transportation impacts in CEQA based on a new metric called vehicle miles traveled, or VMT, which uh, Sam will talk about a little bit more, but it's, it's a metric that's uh, far more aligned with the state's goals uh, for uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, more recently, last year, with a few, with a couple years of experience dealing with VMT and CEQA under the city's belt, um, planning and engineering staff came together and decided it was really important to start st standardizing our practices and our approach to utilizing VMT and CEQA analysis to ensure that we're analyzing impacts consistently. Um, that were in line with the best practices in the state and to make sure that we're transparent to the public and we're predictable to the development community. And so to achieve that goal, staff contracted with Fear and Peers to assist us in developing some administrative transportation guidelines to assist in this analysis. And also as part of that effort, we identified some needed adjustments to language in the city's general plan more specifically in the transportation element, to provide a little more clarity about what we're doing with transportation analysis at a policy level. I'll note that we're very fortunate that our general plan is very progressive and it's, it was very forward thinking in promoting sustainability and actually foresaw the eventual need to shift away from LOS to VMT. So you'll find that the changes that we're proposing are actually fairly minor in nature and those minor amendments to the general plan are what is before you this evening. You're being asked to make a recommendation to the city council to adopt the changes to the general plan transportation element. Uh, with that quick overview, I'm gonna turn it over to Sam to give you a little more information about VMT and how we're using it in our transportation analysis. Great, thank you, Wayland. Um, Again, my name is Sam Tabibnia with Fair and Peers. Uh, we are a transportation consultant uh, based in Oakland. <clears throat> um, we've developed um, quite a few VMT guidelines for various jurisdictions throughout California. And so happy to be here in San Leandro today. Um, so I'll, I'll have a brief presentation that I'll go through. I'll cover some of the legislative requirements um, that why we need to do this shift to VMT analysis, explain a little bit what VMT is, uh, and then go through the process of how VMT is analyzed uh, for the transportation analysis in the environmental documents. And then uh, go briefly over the text amendments to the general plan. And finally, uh, end with the staff recommendation. Um, as Waylon mentioned, uh, it all started with uh, Senate Bill 743, which was uh, made into law in 2013. 
And it explicitly um, said that lead agencies throughout California, cities, counties, everyone, uh, they need to replace level of service, LOS, with other measures of traffic congestion uh, for the purpose of environmental documents. And their main goal, they're basically, they had three main goals um, in mind. One was to reduce GHG emissions. Uh, second one was to develop multimodal transportation, uh, basically provide people with more options for um, traveling. And then the third one was to encourage more diverse land uses or mix up land uses. Um, so in response to that, uh, the state's Office of Planning and Research, uh, they released a technical advisory in 2018 uh, that basically said uh, VMT should be the metric that's used to replace level of service. And uh, as Waylon mentioned, since July 2020, all CEQA documents in California, they have been using VMT. And so the, um, the CEQA documents in San Leandro have also been using VMT, uh, but they have been done more on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, there was no uh, unified guidelines. Um, and they'll be mostly relying on the actual guidelines that were provided by the state. Um, so what is VMT? Um, so it's basically the total amount of uh, vehicle traffic uh, that's generated. It's, it's, uh, it's calculated by multiplying the total traffic volume by the miles that each vehicle travels. So for example, the figure that's shown on top of this slide, there's one vehicle that's traveling one mile. So one times one, that's one VMT. And then the bottom one, that's four vehicles traveling 10 miles. So four times 10, that's 40 VMT. Um, I also should mention that for, again, for the purpose of the transportation analysis in CEQA, uh, VMT is typically measured on a weekday, gen uh, general weekday, and it does not include trucks or heavy trucks rather. It's, um, it's passenger vehicles and light trucks only. Uh, so how do we evaluate VMT for CEQA? Um, so the first, the first step is screening. Um, it basically says that um, it's an easy way to see if that a project meets certain conditions, then we can automatically assume that it will not have a less than significant impact on VMT. So these are if a project is really small or if it's located next to or near BART station um, or if it's a local serving retail use such as a grocery store. So we can assume that there's no, there's no VMT impact and it's uh, exempt from further analysis. Um, but if it doesn't meet any of the screening criteria, then we would need to estimate the VMT that's generated by the project. So that's step number two. And then step number three would be to compare that VMT that the project generates to the threshold of significance. And if it's below that threshold of significance, then it's a less than significant impact. And again, there's no, there's no VMT impact. Um, but if it's above the threshold, then it's step number four, which is to apply mitigation measures. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and so the mitigation for VMT is a little bit different from the, VM the mitigation we are used to for LOS, where for level of service, the mitigation was usually either you know, signalize an intersection, add another lane to a roadway. But for VMT to reduce the VMT, it's usually either changing the project's characteristics, um, such as reducing its parking, uh, increasing the mix of the uses that are in the project, you know, maybe adding retail to a purely residential project or increasing the density. <coughs> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. I had it two weeks ago and I'm still getting over it. Um, Um, and then the, um, the other way to do um, mitigation for VMT is uh, TDM, Transportation Demand Management, um, where we basically come up with uh, either operational strategies or physical uh, measures uh, 
to reduce um, the VMT. Like physical measures, it includes like maybe adding a bike lane to a street that's next to the project or adding a bus stop. Um, and then the operational measures include items such as providing um, bus passes to the residents or, um, or basically having more marketing to promote use of non-automobile uh, uses. So if the, if the mitigation measures reduce that, um, that VMT to less than the threshold, then the impact is less than significant with mitigation. But then the project needs to implement that mitigation and they would likely need to be monitoring to make sure that it's done. Um, and if the mitigation doesn't reduce the impact to less than significant, then the impact is um, significant and unavoidable and it would require a statement of overriding consideration from the city. So, so to achieve all this, um, there's a couple of um, text amendments that are proposed to the general plan. Um, it's uh, the first one is to, to basically say that VMT is the primary metric that's used to evaluate transportation impacts in CEQA documents. Um, even though, and then the second one is even though level of service or other measures of congestion cannot be used in an environmental document, the city can still use it to make decisions about projects um, and do improvements, uh, roadway improvements, but it is done outside of the CEQA process. Um, and then the third bullet is to just confirm that the level of service goals for the city, um, which are LOSE within the priority development areas, um, which are the BART stations and East 14th Street, and then LOSD outside of the priority development areas. And then finally, um, um, there's the staff recommendation, which is uh, basically um, adopt a resolution to recommend to the city council, council to adopt the text amendments, to the transportation element of the general plan uh, to formalize the item that we discussed. And uh, that's the end of my presentation. Thank you. Does the commission have any questions for staff? Commissioner Bolt. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I, I had a couple of questions. For, I was hoping you guys were, would kind of explain the last, I love pictures and diagrams and and on the last page, we have this where it says low VMT areas, at least 15% below planning area two average home base VTM per resident, according to the Alameda County. Is it this one? Can you explain what what this is telling us, what it means? Uh, is it this one? Yes, that, yep. Okay, so, um, so this is one of the screening criteria that um, I briefly mentioned the presentation. Um, so basically what it says is that projects that are in the green areas um, and they, may, they meet certain conditions, um, such as their density is not too low, they don't provide too much parking, or you know, they don't have other characteristics that would indicate that would uh, increase VMT, they can be assumed um, to uh, generate a less than significant imp uh, impact on VMT. Um, and then the blue areas basically indicate that if they are above a certain, <clears throat> if they are above a certain uh, density and meet their requirements as infill residential, um, then they can also be assumed to have a less than significant impact uh, on VMT. And then the purple areas, um, th they're not eligible for the screening. So the full analysis would need to be done. Okay. All right. That explains a lot to me because a purple area is mostly, if not all, commercial. Yep. And when I was looking at it, I was like, wait a second. We're not going to even look at the commercial. Okay. Got it. That makes more sense to me. Thank you. Yeah. So this map is just for residential. Got it. Okay. I was not making that connection. So, and it's very bold and residential, but still wasn't. Um, 
next question is it it was signed into law in 13 and it said it had to come into effect in 2020 but we're making the changes now because we were doing really good i mean it's 23 so i was just 10 years is the gap you know as required under state law the city did begin utilizing vmt in its uh sequel analysis um starting in July of 20, 2020 as required by the law. What we're doing now is we're trying to formalize our processes and our lessons learned and to clean up some language in the general plan. But we've been, been the city, we've been, we've been complying with the requirements of the law. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I do remember the VMT language already. Okay. All right. And then um, uh, I, I assume I know, but reading and trying to make the connections this is going to only tighten up the code and not loosen the code when we're thinking about um, reducing emissions, obviously. We're in California. Our goal is to reduce emissions. Is that like played out through math or what? <laughs> I can respond. I think what it'll be status quo from what the city's been doing since 2020. Um, but yes, as, as Wayland was mentioning, the shift from level of service to VMT that occurred in 2020, that was more uh, reducing emissions friendly, more sustainable. But the changes that we implemented in 2020 along with the law, those are just being formalized in this uh, package before you. We're not making a, a substantive change now. We're just documenting the change that occurred in 2020. Um, Okay. Sense. Yes, it does. I was just making sure. And then the last one, I know this could be way off, but how do we, and I thought about this reading this the other day, so I counted on my way here, 13 delivery vehicles between my house and here in the streets, in the residential areas. How does that play into That's reducing emissions? Or is that... It's that's a really good question. Um, and I get that. Yes, we get that a lot. Um, this this analysis and this requirement does not address does not address that. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation and the information. Uh, I think I'll start right there with where a uh, fellow commissioner left off on the question. Uh, regarding commercial trucks and commercial vehicles altogether. Uh, this came up in a, in a previous item that was brought to the commission for a development on Washington Avenue that was bringing forth an introduction of 18 uh, commercial truck bays for 18-wheel trucks. Um, I was told then by the consultant that the VMT analysis that was being performed did not take into account commercial vehicles. It only took into account the actual construction impacts from construction vehicles that were being utilized during the course of construction. Um, so my question is, I understand, you know, VMT has that in place. Did level of service give any sort of uh, strengthening or backing to the point of being able to track commercial truck usage and their impact on greenhouse gas gases? Uh, so, yeah, so, so there's multiple responses to your, to your comment. Um, so, so part of the reason why the truck traffic is not included in the VMT calculation for transportation purposes is that there is really no way to reduce truck traffic. It's, I mean, goods need to get places somehow. And, you know, it's not like we can send, you know, uh, goods by bus. Um, and it's, and by the way, um, the transportation analysis does not account for that truck traffic, but the VMT that goes into the GHG greenhouse gas and air quality and noise analysis, it does account for that uh, truck traffic. Um, and then your question, your other question about level of service accounting for that truck traffic, um, it does include for the additional congestion that's caused by, uh, by trucks, um, yeah, there's a way to adjust level of service calculations to basically, uh, we call it a passenger car equivalent, 
So you would assume that every truck is equivalent to like two and a half or three cars. Um, and so you would adjust the calculations that way. Okay. So level of service did provide some sort of factor for commercial trucks versus VMT, which provides no factor at all. Okay. That's interesting. Um, let's see. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Through the chair. Sam, can you talk about the retention of level of service for the city's non-CEQA evaluation? Can you touch on that with regards to that specific question? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, apologize for forgetting that. Um, so yeah, so the, 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 basically the traffic impact study that the city would require developments um, to do outside of the CEQA process would include the level of service analysis. And that level of service analysis would include um, truck traffic in it. Sorry, can you repeat that one more time? Um, just so I can track. Right. So, so there, there's still going to be level of service analysis done. Okay. But it's not in the CEQA document. It's outside of the CEQA. Independent of the CEQA right. process. Okay. Correct. Got it. Okay. And then in terms of, I guess, that independent level of service evaluation, when it's compared and contrasted to the CEQA analysis that's running its course in parallel, does one supersede the other? Do we hold a more stringent requirement that we're abiding by? So, CEQA is a little bit usual. Well, CEQA is usually more stringent, but um, it's, um, I would say that it overrules the level of service analysis um, because usually an outcome of a level of service analysis is to, you know, to either widen the street. Or, um, or you know, other improvements that could um, could encourage more VMT. Mm -hmm. So if there, so if there's a evidence that basically that shows that whatever roadway widening or signalizing or whatever it is that we do to mitigate that or to improve that level of service um, issue, if it shows that it increases VMT, then it, that could become a CEQA issue. Okay. Okay. So that independent analysis is supplemental, but if there's information that comes to light out of that independent analysis that affects in a, you know, in a cause and effect type of scenario, VMT, then there is still a discussion to be had about the impacts overall on the VMT analysis that was produced by CEQA at that Correct. process. Correct. Okay. So it's not as though it's an open, closed type of scenario. There's still a conversation to be had. All right. Um, and then... Relative to, and you know, I, I don't know the full process of this, but the actual VMT study analysis that you had mentioned, you said that that occurs on weekdays. Um, only fa only factors passenger vehicles and light trucks got that. How frequent does the study itself occur? Is there a baseline for the study, or is it with every new development or new proposed project that comes in, a study is ran? Um. So. Okay, so it's actually, it's, uh, we use um, a travel demand model, um, which is a fairly complicated um, software that basically as input, it has the transportation network, like all the roadways, um, and then the land uses, um, whether it's residential, how much it is, um, commercial, office, what have you. Um, so the model that we use for this is the Alameda County Transportation um, commission, Alameda CTC mm -hmm. uh, model. Um, I have a screenshot of it here that basically it covers all of Bay Area and um, San Joaquin County. Uh, and so we use that model to estimate what the VMT for a project would be. Okay. So then I guess how frequent is this model updated just with like the multitude of projects that occur within Alameda County? How frequent yeah. is the model so, updated? So typically Alameda CTC, they update the model. They do a major update every 10 years um, when the new census comes out. Uh, and then they do minor updates every, um, every two years or so. Um, so the latest version of it, which would be based on um, the 2020 census, and then also the latest uh, Plan Bay Area from uh, MTC, it's um, supposed to come out in the next three months or so. 
Okay. Uh, but the last one that we were using, um, it came out in 2020, I believe. Okay. So last version, 2020, new version in three months. Uh, that's the schedule. Okay. Um, let's see. And maybe my last question here is uh, just based on timing, it's similar to a question that fellow Commissioner Bolt raised um, regarding 2013, SB 743 coming into play, um, and that putting in place a requirement by July 1st, 2020 to shift off of level of service and to shift onto VMT. So if we're looking at 2020, say, as being the pivot point, um, is that truly the pivot point or was it back in 2018 uh, when the technical advisory was issued with more guidance on how to implement VMT? My question is basically, I understand it was released in 2013, but how long per se, quote unquote, have we been technically out of compliance? Is it held to 2020 or is it held to 2018? You are, you are not out of compliance. Okay. Um, all we are doing is basically we are coming up with uniform guidelines so all SQL documents are based on the same um, same methodology and assumptions. Okay. Chair, I'll just, if, if I could add, um, so we implemented by July 1st, 2020, but it, it's, they're not, I guess I should say, as we've discussed, when applicants are in process, changing the rules midstream on an in-process application is not ideal. And so there are situations where when CEQA documents are being prepared, there's a notice of preparation that's issued. And the analysis, because sometimes these, these documents take years to produce. So the date in effect of which rules you're following is typically when you issue your notice of preparation. So it's in some cases, you might be adopting a document a few years after it started. And if, if you were changing your methodology every time it would, it would, you'd never be done, right? And so we did affect the change July 1st, just like we were supposed to, um, and we're in compliance. But there, it's it's possible we had some in-process documents that used the old standard, um, but we've been in compliance the whole time and seeking legal counsel, making sure for each project. We don't have a ton of, of EIRs and mitigated negative declarations. As you've seen, it's kind of a small sample size, um, and so for each one, we've, we've worked with the legal team to help us, uh, implement the requirements of the state law. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, so then I guess with the general plan and the general plan being more forward thinking and it's, you know, revamp that it recently underwent, was there anything at that point in time that prevented us from initiating the change fully and adopting VMT versus maintaining uh, LOS at that point in time? Was it a matter of the study that Farron Peers was undertaking not being complete to a certain degree of us being able to incorporate VMT in the general plan versus us kind of doing it now retroactively? Uh, um, correct me, Avalon, if I'm wrong, um, but I believe the general plan came out before OPR came out uh, with their guidelines. So so at, the, there, at that time, there was, a, there was a feeling that it will be VMT um, but the state hadn't really uh, set the parameters for the analysis yet. And there was no timeline for when they would do that. That's correct, Sam. And also it's just the reason I would say for the any delay in formalizing the amendments to the general plan. For one thing, there's a wisdom in not making changes immediately before you have some practice under your belt. So we're in a much more informed place today because to, we don't like to change the general plan too often. And in fact, there are state laws saying you can't change it too often. So we're in a much better place now between our engineering partners and planning. Um, new, new staff have come on board. We're in a really great place now to do this work with, with a little bit of wisdom from our experience on the handful of projects we've we've had. Um, so I think it's, it's good timing, but also we are constantly struggling from like a workload standpoint to to prioritize all the in-process projects and getting back to applicants in a short time frame. So sometimes the documentation piece where we're doing the work, we're following the law, but taking the moment to work with Sam and formalize and document it, it, it kicked out a little bit longer. 
Um, and I think this is a really ideal time to make the change, but you'll find in the next few months, we'll be bringing you more, some of these cleanup items that have been on our plates for a while, but we're finally getting around to completing and getting them forward. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you for that explanation. That's it for me. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, I personally lived through the transition between LOS and the VMT, and so it certainly takes uh, quite a bit of time for the agencies to get used to it, the consultants to provide the services, and to also have like the proper guidance. Uh, I'm all for, I mean, the transition and uh, I mean adapting the VMT, uh, but I I also like the fact that the staff is retaining the option to have the LOS performed for like certain projects. I think that definitely helps. Like, I mean, the numbers when you look at VMT and the number the numbers when you look at a level of service, those are like quite different numbers. And like, it gives you like quite different picture, uh, but certainly they don't address like, uh, just one by itself does not address like all of the problems, at least locally, uh, at least at the city level, the smaller projects that we typically do. Uh, so I like that. I mean, we are keeping that option to have the LOS uh, chosen for like some some projects that could have that uh, level of service impact. Uh, so my question is like, what happens if the final determination is that the impact is significant and unavoidable? What happens to that project? Uh, if the VMT impact is significant and unavoidable? Um, so it would need to be an EIR. Um, it cannot be a, a mitigated neck deck or a neck deck. It has to be an EIR. Um, and then the city, um, it would be the city council, right? That has to adopt the um, statement of overriding consideration. Um, that basically stating, even though we know this project would have a, a significant unavoidable impact on the environment, there is all these other, you know, social, economic, or what have you benefit to the city that we we think it's, we need to do this. And, uh... The second question I have is, is there a VMT mitigation exchange like at the county level or is that in the process? I know San Mateo County yeah. is looking for one. The, there is a lot of counties that are looking for one. Um, or there, there, there's also a couple of counties that have it are in the process of made, studying, setting one up. But no, as far as I know, nobody in California has set one up yet. Yeah, that's so, concerning. So everybody's waiting for somebody else to do it. Thank you. Sorry, one last question. And it might not be for, for Farron Peers, it might be for um, city engineering staff. So for, um, I'm reminded of facilities and transportation and the overall maintenance of roadways within the city limits. I know that we've undertaken this major effort here for the CIP work and kind of rehabbing streets that need service. Does the model itself, this model here depicted as VMT, what was the um, the baseline that the city was using for information purposes for those streets that needed to be rehabbed? Was it level of service that was being utilized or uh, I just want to make sure that if we make the shift to to VMT, that the information that was available for continuous improvements on streets isn't being lost, or maybe it's not a concern and there's another factor that's being used. Yeah, we use PCIs to okay. uh, evaluate streets and determine um, ranking for when they get paved. Do you use any of the LOS information or VMT information to kind of backfeed into the PCI, making that determination of what streets ultimately really. get paved when? Not really. It's mostly, um, you know, pavement condition index that okay. plays into that. And okay, yeah. gotcha. It's not LOS. Whole separate discussion because I know there's a lot of concerns with pavement condition in the city, and you know, maybe a sidebar on that. But uh, the model being one thing, and you know, maybe thinking outside the model and you know, physical approach on what streets actually need to be rehabbed. All right. Thank you. Okay, just just a few questions here. Um, in in policy e dash five point two, <clears throat> we were already using the term VMT. Was that adopted in twenty twenty? 
No, this was adopted. This was our 2016 general plan. Okay, great. Because SB 743 was adopted sometime before that, we we knew it was coming. Right, right. Great. Um, these maps that that um, are are these recent analysis? These maps are these new. Uh, they're based on they're based on 2020 conditions. Okay, and so was San Leandro already using these maps that we see here in this screening criteria? Yes. Okay, so we are not adopting any new maps in this resolution. Okay. Um, you referred to LOS areas D and E some point in the presentation. Yes. Here. Um, LOSE, what what are these? Uh so level of, of these? Uh so so I, I can just explain it. I, okay. I should have had a figure. Um, um so level of service. So it's basically it's a grade that's assigned to the traffic at an intersection. Um, it ranges from A to F. Um, so A means there is minimal congestion. And then with each level of service that goes up, um, the congestion or the delay that's experienced by vehicles goes up. Um, so for so so the if LOS is the goal, um, that means anything LOS E or above um, is acceptable, but LOS F would not be acceptable. Um, and then for if LOS D is the acceptable goal, then anything D or above is acceptable. Um, but E or F would not be acceptable. A little similar to school. Okay, but there's no map that that lists these areas. This is more of just kind of something that's going to be evaluated. E and D are. Um, so E and D, so they're calculated for each intersection individually. Okay. Um, it's basically based on how much traffic goes through it and how much uh, delay or congestion that um, that intersection increase uh, experiences. Okay, and 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 does each intersection have a rating at this point in time? Uh, I don't. Um, I know there was a fairly comprehensive analysis done for the general plan uh, back in 2015, 16. Um, I'm not aware of anything recent. So through the chart, when the project comes in for our review planning routes it to all of our partner reviewers internally. Um, the engineering department will often request that we have a traffic study performed mm -hmm. to understand, you know, traffic counts, delay, and they will tell us, you know, this intersection is currently at an LOSC and with the additional trips from the project, it's going to go to an LOSF. And then that's where we'd, we'd all say, oh, no, that's too much of a change. That's uh, F is bad, right? And then we'll figure out what are things the project could do to reduce that or change the project. So a traffic study would give us this information on a case-by-case -case basis, and it'd be fresh information mm -hmm. um, versus it being like a static map where we know what all, you know, in, in real time what they are. Um, we would require an applicant to run a study, and they would hire a firm like Fair and Peers to do that technical analysis for us. Okay. So this, we're maintaining something here. Yes. Right? Yeah. In the priority development areas, those are basically starting at the northern border, East 14th Street, the big downtown circle, and then all the way down the big Bay Fair area. So those are the areas where we have said they're close to transit. We want to see growth. So we we are saying by having a different threshold for those areas, we want there to be more delay in those areas. You know, it's charming when you're driving down a main street and you've got to, you know, stop frequently, but you've got a lot of pedestrians crossing the road and, you know, bicyclists and there's a lot going on. We're fine with cars moving slower there, but if it's outside of those priority areas, we we want the cars to be more free flowing. That's what this is saying. There's different standards for different areas in town. Okay. So so is this a change is my question because it says maintain city aims to maintain the following LOS goals.
Okay. It, it's, it's, um, it's maintaining the same goals, just taking away from the SQL process. Sorry, say that again. We're maintaining the same goals, but it's um, the evaluation of LOS is outside of SQL, is what it's saying. Okay. The D&E standards are in the current general plan. That's not changing. But some cities are just deleting out any reference to LOS when they make these changes. And we're saying, let's keep them in, even right. though they're no longer used for CEQA analysis. Okay. Um, understood. W one last item. <clears throat> we refer to LTIA which is the local transportation impact analysis. And in section T-5.2 or policy, I should say, we say local transportation impact analysis studies may also consider the total number of trips generated and the resulting impact in traffic volumes and congestion is the terminology we're using, volumes and congestion. But where we are, changing it in transportation. We're changing traffic to the word transportation. And instead of using traffic volume and congestion, we're using access and circulation. Is there a reason that we're not using the words traffic volume and congestion? In section T-1.3.B. So, so here, for consistency's sake. I can repeat the two areas if you want, unless there's an, so in and the policy numbers again. So um, policy T-1.3B, we refer to LTIA, potential effects on access and circulation. But in policy T-5.2, we refer to L LTIA studies may also consider blah, 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 volume and congestion. So instead of So, so the first one that's, um, that's referring to access and circulation, it's a more broad um, description of what could be included in a LTIA. Um, it's not just um, level of service uh, or traffic congestion. It can also include you know, how people by various modes could access the site. Um, if it's a specific issue there that, uh, um, that staff is aware of, it could include uh, looking at, um, at some safety issues. Um, Whereas um, the other one that specifically mentions volume and congestion, mm -hmm. it's in reference to level of service, uh, where the volume is uh, input into the level of service calculation and congestion is basically the, the output of the level of service calculation. Okay. 
I think my concern is that we remove the word traffic and replaced it with transportation, which I can understand, but we've gotten rid of the point of traffic, that there is traffic, right? And this is, this is not specific to, to um, when we're talking, traffic was not specific to CEQA before, but now transportation is specific to CEQA. So are we completely changing this section? Because trans traffic and transportation are not the same thing. I, I understand that we're we're completely changing section T dash one point three B to be about CEQA now, not necessarily. Correct. So for so for CEQA, we want to be a little bit more broad and not just talk about traffic. We want to talk about all aspects of transportation. Okay. I don't know. It seems like it seems like we're this isn't a like for like switch in this section. Maybe through the chair, it's it might be confusing about whether the LTIAs are being run for different purposes with the two references that Chair Zuber's noting. So in the one hand, it's saying the LTIAs can be used for potential effects on access and circulation, but it doesn't describe traffic volumes and congestion like policy 5.2 does. So I think just would it be, I think maybe through the chairs wondering, is it helpful to refer to both sets in both policies just yeah, we can, for clarity? Um, I think in general, at least for me, when we say access and circulation, uh, to me that does that. That's a very wide topic, and to me it does include level of service and congestion. Um, but I understand how it could be confusing. Um, um, but I guess it's more for staff. But we can change it to to say access, circulation, and congestion. I think I think that that helps. I don't, yeah, because I, I, when I think of circulation, I don't, I don't necessarily think of congestion, right? Okay, thank you. See no further questions. I see no one from the public. I will now close the public hearing and bring this item back for discussion by the commission. Are there any items for discussion? Do I hear a motion to adopt a resolution? I make a motion to adopt the resolution before us. Second that. Right. Okay. With with the with the minor change. Including the minor change. Yeah. I'll accept the friendly amendment of the minor change. It has been moved by Commissioner Bolt and seconded by Commissioner Solis to adopt a resolution to recommend the City Council adopt text amendments to the transportation element of the 2035 general plan to replace level of service with vehicle miles traveled as a criteria to be used for transportation analysis under the California Environmental Quality Act in compliance with Senate Bill SB 743 and CEQA guidelines section 15064.3. Please cast your vote. The motion passes unanimously, one absence.
Do we have any items of miscellany? No, we do not. Do we have any comments from the commissioners? Yes, I'm good. Yes. Okay. Um, I just want to say, as we were deliberating right now, when Secretary Avalon Schultz made a comment that uh, traffic can be charming. And, and at first I laughed and I was like, wait, what? But then it challenges me because you can go to a small city, not a small city, you can go to a city where they've done stuff with the traffic and they've created slower lanes so that as you travel down, you do see more. There are more people out. It makes it more inviting to get out of the car. And so you're right. It can be charming. But in my e-brain, I was like, wait, no, no, it's never charming. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for that. <laughs> Commissioner Tabjulu. Uh, I just wanted to bring up that one email that was forwarded by Willen towards the end of November. Uh, this was referring to the upzoning in the city of Berkeley in the south side, where they increased the density of the housing to allow 12-plus uh, stories. Uh, that was like pretty interesting. And, I mean, my question is, like, why aren't we doing that? So it's... I don't know. I mean, like, what what factors? I know there are like limitations to the height and stuff like that. But uh, that article was pretty interesting, and I think we do have like certain corridors or like certain neighborhoods that would definitely benefit from this upzoning. Um, I mean, we don't we don't have to build like I mean, seventy stories high, but we could at least go like another you know, twelve to fifteen that's being tried out in Berkeley, and so that's something I would like the staff to look more into and. Uh, first, like trying to address the question that, like, I mean, why isn't it allowed? Like, why are we not doing it? Is it just the restrictions for the height of the building? Or, like, I don't know. Like, I'm sure, like, there are, like, multiple reasons. Uh, but I think that's something we need to explore and, like, make it make it feasible. For certain corridors, certain areas, uh, that, that where, where it kind of makes sense. Thank you for saying that over. Mr. Tahara. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to follow up, and I think the minutes from our last meeting uh, were picking up on some of the comments uh, mentioned during that session. One of them was looking for the update and kind of status on current development projects, whether those projects are Kind of under construction or forecasted to be um, seen here by the commission within X window. Um, unless I missed it, I don't know that there was a, a spreadsheet um, that was sent out. Um, there wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got the head nodding confused there. Okay. So there, there wasn't. All right. Um, that would be great if the spreadsheet interim to the website going live for the citizens to go onto the website and kind of see what the real-time status is with projects, if that spreadsheet could be shared with the commission, I think it would go a long way. Okay. And um, the my last comment here, and I don't know kind of the feasibility of how this would would work. Um, but going back to a prior point that I made regarding the road condition, this is something kind of within the district that's being constantly brought to light um, through HOA meetings, through other interface points that I have with District 4, the condition of the roads. And granted, I know that we've gone through a major CIP rehab project, uh, but there are still, you know, more than a handful of streets that fall under this category of just severely beyond their lifespan. Um, I know the model is one thing for PCI and it kind of generates out X streets can be rehabbed and saved. X streets need a full on repair job. And because the model is telling us that the rehab takes priority over a full on, uh, you know, uh, pave and mill type of operation that those, least critical streets that can be saved get the priority versus those other streets that are more so on life support 
and, you know, riddled with potholes throughout the entire neighborhood, it kind of shifted down the totem pole in the sense of when that work actually occurs. So I'm, I'm just wondering, as we get to the point of that model, the PCI index being evaluated down the road, how much interaction the commission can have with maybe some advanced forecasting of what engineering the department is thinking of, public works now, uh, the department is thinking of for street prioritization. And if that could be something maybe in advance shared with the planning commission so that we can provide thoughts on, um, do we kind of see it the same way that these streets um, are in concurrence with what we're seeing within our respective districts? Or um, would there be the option of the commission presenting uh, just a listing of streets that we visually see as an issue within our areas. So I'm just looking for kind of a collaborative approach uh, that potentially we can take when we get to classifying streets versus just relying on the model. The model spits out X streets to receive X repair, and that's our game plan moving forward. Instead of just going in that direction, going with more of a collaborative approach for the commission, for our respective districts, so that we can you know, move towards a collective program. Yeah, so um, that is something that is a function more of the Facilities and Transportation Commission. Um, and I would really encourage you to attend the February 7th meeting of facilities um, because there will be a presentation that um, goes over our decision-making processes and PCI and um, how streets are evaluated and which streets get chosen so that, um, you know, we're doing... 15 streets as opposed to doing one street. That's, ultimately, that's what it comes down to, right? Mm -hmm. um, if we're going to affect the residents of 15 streets, that makes those 15 streets residents happy as opposed to one street, which, you know, it's a lot less people typically, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I would really encourage you to attend that facilities meeting on February 7th. It starts at 4 p.m. and it's in this room. Um, if you're interested in more information on that. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll plan to attend February session. I was here for the November facilities and transportation meeting when the district four update was given uh, by the engineering staff. And granted, it wasn't a full on description of the priority ranking and, and the model and what have you. It was more of a high level description. Um, but at that point in time, that's kind of the consensus from a lot of the folks that attended um, leaving the room that they walked away with was, just as mentioned previously, the model generates and we follow the model versus it being kind of a collaborative approach. So certainly I'll attend the February. Yeah. And also if you're able to watch back the meeting from December, because that was um, what we called pavement 101 and the February meeting will be pavement 102. So. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, Basically, I wanted to know if uh, any of the fellow commissioners or um, the city staff have any comment on, on this observation that probably is, uh, I'm hyper-focused on this, but, um, you know, oftentimes in new developments, they talk about uh, retail space uh, at the bottom. So one thing that I've been noticing all over the place, uh, you know, Brooklyn Basin, Alta Vista, uh, several uh, new developments, is that after they build the, the, the you know the, the place, the retail space not only remains empty sometimes for years, it remains unfinished. And um, I was talking to my wife today. I was, I was saying like, I don't remember you know, growing up through decades. You know, I don't remember seeing buildings um, with the bottom, you know, the retail space unfinished with rebar. And and uh, you know ceiling is exposed, and I uh, just wonder if that's something that I, I want to do some research about it. Like what you know, what change, what what's that happening? And it's happening all over the place. Like you know, they build a new development, one year, two year, three years, uh, empty. I'm talking about you know maybe hundreds of square feet of, or thousands of square feet of empty space, um, and um, you know that's in the con within the context of sometimes we hear. Uh, people that come before us, and also the public with an emphasis of, oh, let's do retail. But uh, oftentimes it's empty for, for many years. So I uh, wanted to know if something changed in the financing or, or you know, what's causing that. 
doesn't open question. I can, I can speak a little bit to that. So a, a developer is not going to spend money on what they call a tenant improvement. So a retailer comes in and they're going to, they, the developer gives a certain amount of what they call TI dollars to the new tenant to build out the space. But it's going to be built out the way the tenant wants them. So until they have a tenant, they're not going to spend money to warm the space up, as we say, with finishes and things like that, because it costs money. So unless they don't, you know, if no one is interested, it just sits empty as retail. It is, it's risky. So is that, um, the other, that's my, yeah, the last meeting I see they, they were talking about a speculative warehousing. So is that something that's been that's new? Because I remember I, I understand that that part that um, that you had to leave uh, enough wiggle room for a, a new tenant to say I want you know bathrooms here or want you know a wall here or whatever. But um, it seems to me that I, I remember that at least they put uh, the floor talking about like you know on the walls and the ceiling at least. But uh, these place these places are like. Actual, you know, rebar. <laughs> There's nothing there, um, and uh, I don't remember seeing that in the past. So anyway, anyway. Yeah, interesting. Any any other comments? Hmm? Staff updates. Yes. Um. We are working on the development pipeline table. So um, planning manager Waylon Lee will be uh, bringing something to our next meeting. We are anticipating having a few items for our February meeting and we'll bring the prototype to you um, and we can see how well that works. Thank you all for your patience. Um, it is one of those items that has been a little bit on the back burner as we've been focused on a lot of projects and processing applications, which we have a little less leeway in terms of our timelines with those. So thank you for, for hanging tight. Um, the item that the planning commission recommended to city council, the warehouse project on Washington that was brought up tonight, that was unanimously approved at the city council. Um, and went through its first and second reading since it was a zoning change. It required the ordinance and the two meetings. Um, and then that that's kind of it. it it's been a, um, Obviously, last year was a really busy year with a lot of big changes with staffing. And so we've got some really great folks, um, not just in community development, but in other departments as well, um, that we're really excited to continue the great work. So um, just looking forward to this new year. Thank you. Time is now 8.09. And the meeting is adjourned.